Hey everybody, it is episode 47 of the Running Rogue podcast. We're approaching 50 episodes here, Steve. Steve is with me. Hey, Steve. Hello, podcast world. We are coming at you from Austin, Texas, Rogue Running, as we always do. And today we have a guest from our previous episode, episodes 21 and 22, Coffee and Beer with John Shrub. <laughs> John is here for a very, very interesting lesson in history that we're going to be diving through today. We are going to be doing an episode on the GOAT, the greatest of all mm-hmm. time. It's going to be become a series of sorts. So today we're going to talk about the greatest of all time, male distance runners. We're going to go through women over future episodes as well as U.S. specific kind of GOAT categorization. So we're going to be talking about the greatest of all time, reaching back into the archives to talk about some of the ancient history of uh, distance running and then of course talking about some current goats and then we'll be deciding at the end who we at least all think is the goat for male distance runners john will be joining us because he is an encyclopedia of running and running shoes so he could probably tell us not only about all the guys we're going to talk about today but also maybe what they wore (laughs) (laughs) so welcome john good to have you back thanks for having me back And as promised on our last episode, we've got to give you a New York Marathon preview. So we're going to spend our intro topic talking about New York as you're listening to this on a Monday or perhaps throughout the week. New York Marathon is coming up on Sunday. And so you'll be wanting to check your local listings to figure out where that's going to be on TV. Always something that's fun to watch. And we're going to break it all down for you, starting with the women's race, because, frankly, the women's race is more interesting on this one, unlike at Berlin. So we've got Mary Katani, current women's only world record holder in a 217. We've got Edna Kiplagat, who has run 219, and she's also a Boston Marathon champion and has won a lot of major marathons herself. Finished second at the World Championships. We've got Mari Dababa, no relation to the other Dababa sisters, who's who's run uh, 221. Oh, sorry, 219 as well. And then, you know, you've got a couple of interesting others, like Shalane Flanagan, the American. We've got Betsy Saina, who's who's Kenyan, but is trained in the U.S. and trains at Bowerman Track Club. Mm-hmm. So it's... Really and Alphine Tillyamuk, right? And Alphine Tillyamuk, who we talked about on the last episode, who's also another American who will be competing for the top. So this one's going to be interesting because you kind of have Katani, who's, by the way, won three times in a row, three-time defending New York champion, <laughs> and usually doing in a in a pretty resounding fashion. She also, you know, as we mentioned, is the world record holder. So you've got her... And then a host of other women who could challenge her, but seemingly on a different level than Katani, except for maybe Kiplicott. You might argue that she's in the same place, but just never has gone for the fast time. So I'll take it to you first, Steve. What are your impressions of this, of this women's field? I think it's, pr- it's really exciting to have this level of talent. When we think about what we've had this year with a world championship, what we had with Boston, what we've had with Chicago, with, with, I mean... What we had with, and of course, what we had with um, the uh, the great races at Berlin. I think you know the the, the argument is going to be whether Mary Katani is the best marathoner right now in the world, and we know there's a couple others like Debaba who had such an amazing run um, at Chicago. 
who are right there with her. But I think that her dominance is just mind-boggling at this point. And if he she goes out and runs another New York City marathon as fast as she is capable of running it, um, I, I think it's going to be it'll be a really interesting if she's the greatest of of her, she's the greatest female marathoner of all time, you know? Right. So, um, but I'm most excited about watching Shalane run. I'm, I'm very excited to see how Shalane does. Um, I'm also very, I watched Betsy Sena for many years run for Iowa state. That woman can, she's going to be a very good marathoner and she's somebody who, <clears throat> um, it'll be nice for, I think it'll be, it'll be really positive experience for Shalane to have her teammate, running there with the the two of them i'm not don't think they necessarily will work together i never watched betsy Sena ever work together with anybody ever in her <laughs> career but i do think always that off the front at Iowa always State. and always and always a little bit of a did her own doing her own thing um and so but i think that she's she's obviously got great training schumacher's athletes are running have been running at the marathon at a very high level um even though i still think they did pretty good at chicago even in even so but um, yeah, it's a Mary Katani show at the end of the day, in my opinion. But it'll be interesting to see what's happening in the back, back the, behind her. The other her. question here, John, is as as a coach, you know, I'd be curious to get your perspective on this. Edna, Edna Kipla got, she won Boston, finished second at the World Champs, now coming back for New York, three marathons since April. Can, I mean, to me, that puts her kind of on the outside looking in as somebody who who's going to have trouble competing coming back again. So what do you think? I think it's too much. <laughs> I mean, it, it, but she's Edna Kiplagat, so, you know, who's to say that she can't do it? Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but what do I know, you know? But <laughs> that's that's a lot of marathons in a short time do you and, think and high-level marathons. Do you think Kiplagat can give Mary a run? Do you think? Mm, no. I think she can be she can be at the front. Um, I think she'd be more likely to give her a, a run if she didn't have two marathons in her legs already. <laughs> but two, you know, two amazingly yeah, well run marathons. Yeah, exactly. In her legs. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I think when Katani decides that she's going to run away, she's just going to run away. I don't think anybody can close like she can. Like the Baba did it right. at Chicago. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think that those are the two best in the world, and it, it's hard to say that with Edna, Edna Kiplagat. Yeah. And who won the world champs this? It was Toronto. Toronto, that's Toronto. right. Yep. Yeah. But Edna's won a lot of things. She's, she's, I think she's more of like a championship style racer, you know, where she's not necessarily going to, she's not going to run in the teens. Um, but, I mean, she's won before. She, yep. she, you know, it'd be, fun to, it'd be fun to see her win again. I like her as a runner. Um, but... I mean, that's a lot of racing. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> racing, and you're up against the buzzsaw, which is Mary Katani. Yep. So if, if and I think we were all agreeing here that Mary's going to get the win four, t four times in a row for her. If everything, you know, aside from injury, I don't think there's anything that would stop her. And she is recently quoted as saying, look, I'm ready. You know, they better watch out. So yeah. <laughs> she's talking a big game. She's not one to blow smoke. So I'm, I'm thinking she's ready. So behind her then, if Kipla got might be kind of a question mark because too many marathons in one year who's in it for second we've got tufa from ethiopia's run 221 you've got chelaine who's right there as well 
in in terms of her PR, and then Betsy, who I think could be a potential to get to that point at some point. Can she do it? You know, in New York, obviously not because it's tougher. It's a tougher course, but could she put up that caliber of a result? She's kind of my dark horse in this one. I think she could slip on the podium in a third place spot. Personally, I'm picking Shalane for second. You know, I wow. like. I like. Wow. I'm just putting it out there. I like <laughs> the fact that she got back to some of her roots on the track this summer, tasted the sub 15 5K, and has said that she's had a really solid marathon block. Recently, she was quoted as saying this might be her last marathon. You know, if she drops a win or something like that, she might just ride off into the sunset. Now, I don't think she can beat Katani, but you never know. But I think, you know, given that speed from the summer paired with what seems to be a good marathon block and her experience, I like Shalane over Kip Lagat for second. And then the third place spot to me is either Kip Lagat if she's going to, you know, kind of rally to have a decent race or if she struggles and kind of fades. I think Betsy could be in it. For, for getting on the podium, and then you'd have two BTC girls there, uh, which would be insane. But okay. am I crazy? Am I crazy to put those two there? What do you say, John? It would be awesome if that happened. I don't... I don't... You know, the first time out, the marathon can either go really, really well, or really, you know, it's... Uh, you don't know what the pain is like, so you just... You know, you don't have those expectations. So uh, I think Betsy could run really really well i don't think she'll run second i don't think she'll run third um i think the last few k is going to be pretty interesting for her you know um i think shalane is third yeah so then who gets that second place spot i don't know i i like edna a lot but i think i it's just too and who's coaching edna is that uh i'm not sure canova could be so i mean that guy's a magician <laughs> so. Yeah, they seem to. Yeah, he has athletes. all the magic tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. But uh, I, I don't know. It's you know after after Mary, it would be it would be really cool if Shalane got second. Um, and I know that um, the training they do is really solid. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know about that one. I wish I could give you an answer. All right, well, I, I'm gonna p- my picks are going to be Mary for the win. I'm going to go with Kip Legat in second, and I'm going with Saina for third. Ah, okay, Whoa. interesting. I'm going to – I'm gonna uh, right. not because I'm not a Shalane lover, so anybody no. out there that thinks I mean, it's hating, I'm just trying to pick it right. And I think – I do think that Shalane's desire and the, what, I heard, what we heard from her on that Boston, you know, we got to hear a lot of – I got to hear a lot about from her at, at Boston when she was doing the play-by-play. And – you could tell she was hungry. You could tell that she's not done yet. And you could tell she has, I think she really wants to win a, a world marathon majors, but she probably should have chosen a different one <laughs> than this one. Well, she <laughs> did say in that recent interview that this is, that's the last piece of her resume that she doesn't have, which is a major win. Which means, which is a big thing to say, because that means that she's not going to be, a, she's not going to be on an Olympic team. So, right. So, because you would think that at this point in her career, that she would be looking forward and saying what she didn't have in her you know, I mean, what what how, what did, does she medal? She's medaled on the track. Ten k, that's it. Right, silver. Yeah. Um, so if you nail me to the wall, I'm gonna go. Katani, Flanagan, Kip Lagat. I think I think Betsy could nab that third spot, but I'm put her in fourth. But I do think she benefits from having a training partner in the mix, 
And it's not going to be like Amy and Shalane. They don't have that kind of comfort level, I would assume, together. But there's going to be some familiarity, at least, in having a training partner close by in the lead pack. So I think that helps Betsy. And, you know, Kara and Shalane both podiumed at New York on their first time out. So you never know. You might be right there, Steve. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll see. We'll see. We will see. That's going to be a fun one to watch, so check it out. And then on the men's side, you know, this field to me kind of reminds me of Chicago in some ways. Like, it's pretty thin on the men's side. And and it's although it's relatively stacked kind of on the American men's side, if you look at that side of things. So you've got the two best PRs. In the in the field are Ethiopians Lemmy Berhanu Ber, at 204 and Lalisa Decisa, the Ethiopian, who's, who's I think coming back from a DNF in Chicago to race. He's in 204. You've got Jeffrey Kambroer, the World Championships or the Cross Country World Championships winner in 206. Then you have last year's winner, the 21-year-old Jeremy. Jebber Selassie, I don't, I'm probably butchering that name, but he yeah. won last year, defending champion, and he won in 207, the third fastest New York win in history. So he's in the field. You also have Meb, who's doing his 26th marathon at the age of 42, and who has said he's gonna he's going for it. He's not going to just make it a victory lap, and as Meb does, he always puts it out there. Then you've got Jared Ward, Olympian from the Ameri- from the U.S., Abdi also an um, Olympian from the U.S. And then Shadrach Biwat, who got fourth in Boston and then fifth at New York last year. I think he's kind of an interesting American that not many people know a lot about. I think he trains by himself in Sacramento, from what I can tell. Yeah, I'm not sure. I but don't really know. anyway, so that's that's your field. He's you a know, former Oregon Duck, right? I think he was a Duck, wasn't he a Duck? Biwat? Uh, I think he was. Yeah, I think so. So... As I look at that, to me, there's nobody jumping off the page as a clear favorite. So how do we break this one down, Steve? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think there's going to throw – it's going to be – I think that was one of the things that makes it such an interesting race because, you know, New York is – it's a tough course. You know, we've talked about that before. Um, lots of hills may, basically being bridges that people have to cross and incredible amount of crowd support. I think you're going to see a real fight. I think you're going to see a real – I think you see a, a, a guys throwing thing, throwing haymakers at each other um, in the last bit, right? <laughs> They're gonna well, start I don't know. Slow. I, I like, don't, don't you know. Think I don't start slow. I'm not sure. I mean, th- this race perennially has, but there have been other years where people have gone from the front. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I haven't checked the weather. I don't know what the weather is looking like. It's, but it's right now. The start time temperature, or yeah, start time temperature is about fi- low fifties. With chance of rain, 30, so not perfect. Thirty percent chance yeah. of rain, but no wind. So it doesn't look to be perfect, but it also doesn't look to be horrendous like some of the conditions where they had where they had super crazy winds a few years back. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm interested to watch it. I do think this is one of those races where Meb, little sneaky Meb, might have a chance because he's, never he's, done, he's done this before, right? You never know. Um, and if the, and if the race does go out a little slower, it definitely puts the Americans in a good spot. But we saw what happened at Chicago where we had a, probably the best American field assembled for anything other than Olympic trials in a long, long, long time. and Or at least what we thought was. They were all paper tigers. I mean, <laughs> there was nothing real that happened on that day other than, other than Ray, Galen, right? Galen right. was real, but uh, right. the rest of them were paper tigers. So I don't. I you think know. it's actually on the Americans if they want an honest pace 
to keep it honest. And I do think that's something Ned might do. You know what I mean? He'll, I think he'll take that view as, uh, it, that's always worked for him. But, yep. you know, if the race gets one in 209, he has a tendency to win a lot of races in 209. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you think, John? Anything that we're missing here? Is there is there a unicorn in this field that we're missing? Not really. Um, New York is just such a fun race because it's got an incredible energy. You know, the, the crowds are huge. I mean, it's the New York City Marathon. Um, Meb, um, I th- I'd love to see him do really, really well, but, I mean, he is 42. Um, supposedly his training has gone really, really well. Um, um, I, I would not be surprised if he were top 10. I mean, he should be, um, I'd love to, you know, we're, he and I are both employed by the same people. So, um, I'd love to see him on the sketchers. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, it's, it's probably going to be a race where it's moderate pace. And then the last 10 K people just light it up. And when that, happens i you know it, that's when it gets tough for him you know and for most of the americans in this and for field. most of the americans because right. obby's over 40 right jared ward is not known for his speed he's right. known for his kind of long sustained efforts shadrack b i have no idea you know he but his marathon pr is only a 212 from boston so all right I'll, well i'm gonna throw out my picks and then we'll <laughs> and then well you guys can respond i'm going with Jeffrey Camaroror first. I think he's going to win. I think he's got certainly the best speed in the field. So if it goes moderate pace or slow early, I think he's going to have your best finish. I'm taking him for the win. He also, you know, that world cross country victory, I mean, I think that probably plays more to the marathon than it does to the track. We saw him kind of fade on the track when we had hoped for more. Yeah, he he definitely was not in the world. He wasn't firing on full cylinders in the 10K that day. There's no doubt. But... You know, I think that will translate to the marathon. So I'm picking for him for the win. I'm going with the defending champ, Jermay Jebersalasi, to get second based on his experience last year. And 207 on this course is no slouch time. So I think he's got the tools to be there in the end. And then I'm going to pick Shadrach Biwat, the American, to finish out the podium. He finished fifth in New York, fourth at Boston. So he's kind of working his way up. I think he gets to the podium this time. Third place for for the unknown American because beyond that I don't see anybody who could be there you've got you know Berhanu who has shown in Boston this year that he wasn't fit he DNF there I picked him to be on the podium and he he uh he <laughs> didn't perform for me so he doesn't have a recent result his last good result was in 2016 Boston and then you had DeCisa, who we know has struggled kind of since he's come over after running a decent race in New York in January at the half. And then you had Lucas Rodich, who's kind of, of the others, we, you know, kind of the next PR of, of the ones we haven't talked about. And he hasn't run his PR in several years. So I think the field is pretty thin after those first two I mentioned. And I think that leads you to believe that an American can sneak on the podium. I like Shadrach Biwat based on his result in Boston going with him on the podium Steve what do you think all right my picks are uh, my picks are going to be um, the Gebra Selassie for the win because he's won before 207 in in New York on that course knowing it definitely my pick for win I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna go crazy here I'm gonna put Meb for second place Wow I think uh, I think it's crazy it's probably not gonna happen but I just I just want to I want I only have one more time to take a shout out shout out to him <laughs> other than uh, 
then then maybe um, him doing some other fun runs or things. Um, and then I'm going to go with Quamor for third. I just can't go for Quamor to win a race. He's not, other than World Cross, he doesn't win races. I've lost a, many a bet on Quamor. I'm not <laughs> losing any more bets on that guy anymore. But I do think that, you know, he's not an inexperienced marathoner either. He's run three right. or four marathons. So, and I he's think, a 206 guy. And I think he's got it right. I think he'll probably be competitive. And the slower the race goes, the more there is going out slower, I think the better a chance, you know, he can close. Um, well, he can way, run a fast 10K, but he, that doesn't he was mean he the runner-up in New York in 2015 as well. Two, so, I don't know who it was. Two that won year. that year. Anyway, so anyway, yeah. so he's so he knows of course he knows New York. Yeah, those are my picks. All right, those are my picks. Meb on the podium would be wow. amazing. Yes, that I know. I'm, talk, I know I'm going to be laughed talk, at, but talk, if it pulls it off, everybody's going to bow down and kiss my feet. <laughs> I'm talk just gonna about tell you that. That would be a, the ultimate mic drop. And I wouldn't honestly, I wouldn't put it past him. I have him as my wild card. I know we're not yeah. scoring here, yeah, right. but he's my wild card. I think a fit Meb with the experience that he has and his willingness to stick his nose in it. If the other guys fade, he's going to be there. But I just unfortunately think that you know his last several marathons just haven't been that great. You know, so he's kind of showing the the wear of age, unfortunately. But you never know. Don't count him out. What do you think, Shrep? Uh I like Camor, but I don't think he. I I don't know if he knows how to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in, he was great in cross, but um, and he wasn't going to win that day either. No. Everybody, people don't remember he wasn't really going to win that day either. If um, What's his name? Chip Taggy hadn't done gone right. absolutely apeshit crazy yeah. in the middle of that race, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> and then ended up doing the old yeah. the old stumble bum to the finish. Yeah. That, oh, that was so painful to watch. <laughs> um, I think he's probably third, um, and you know I don't know who can win, but I also like I like Decisa a lot, although his last uh, couple times out haven't been that great. Um, I like Decisa on the podium um and maybe uh what Gebra Selassie is that yeah. It? yeah yeah those Defending I think those champ. yeah I think those three guys are the podium um All Meb right. for me is I think he's a top 10 guy for sure but um if he got into the top five I think that would be really impressive that'd be really cool well the, we're all rooting for Meb yeah the party afterwards will be fun for that for sure <laughs> yes will you be in New York I will Awesome. Well, you'll get to tell us firsthand how it went. We'll be watching from here, and you all should, who are listening should be watching as well. This is Meb Swansong, so at least watch for that and pay tribute to one of the greatest U.S. marathoners of all time. Steve debates with me if, that he might be at the top, but that is for our GOAT discussion another day on U.S. men. Okay, so that's our intro. Again, watch New York. It's going to be a good race. Let's, let's all cheer for Shalane and Meb to get it done as we transition into our discussion on the greatest of all time male distance runners part of the reason why we're doing this is a couple reasons and you know this time we're not even going to apologize for it steve we're just going to dish up the running history because we know they want it but there's two reasons for doing it one because we wanted to kind of dig back into the archives and share some running history to educate you guys as fans on some of the great names from the past that you should know to provide context on some of the great names from the present that you probably already know. So that's one reason. We wanted to give a little bit of a history lesson so you can appreciate some of the running fandom that we're throwing at you. But the second reason also is because we wanted to use it as an opportunity to dig into the training methods 
of all of these great runners from past to present and talk about some of the nuances of their training that we find interesting that you might find interesting that might have application in your training i know as i've read some of these workouts that these guys are doing i've definitely been writing workouts in my head steve that i'm going to be doling out to my group over the next six months sorry morning show (laughs) um so it's always, <laughs> always dubious when yes. looking at history to utilize workouts for sure. Uh, so anyway, so that's 50 by, by a quarter, 50 by 400. That, that'll be <laughs> next Wednesday's workout. guys. Good but, luck with that. <laughs> so anyway, so that's another reason we wanted to kind of use as an opportunity to uh, dive into some old training methods and see what there is to learn. So we're going to we're going to talk about four runners today that we think should be in the conversation for greatest of all time male distance runner. And by distance runner, we're kind of talking really 5K and up. 5K to marathon is sort of the spectrum that we're looking at. And so we're going to be talking about four runners alternating between kind of past and present, starting with a name that many may not know, Pablo Nermi, who is a great Finnish runner from the 20s and 30s, who in a lot of ways is sort of the the, the godfather, the father of modern distance running and... Definitely a candidate for greatest of all time. Steve, I'm going to turn it to you because you've been doing the most research on Pavo. Make the case, first of all, just kind of talking about his resume on why he should be considered the greatest of all time. Well, the basic reasons, and, and you know, Chris and I, we've started, we start, I started doing a little thing called getting the greatest of all time points and doing some points numbers. And Chris and I have gone back and forth with these numbers and sort of looking at them, or at least talking about them. I'm not sure if you even did the numbers game, but I've been doing it. It's odd that you're the one doing the numbers this time, Steve. I know, it's so but, strange. But, but I gave, I but like basically, the role I was giving a score, a score of 20 points for a gold medal, like 15 points for a world record, and then 10 points and all the way down for world championship or gold or bronze, gold, silver, bronze in different varying categories. Um, and basically, Pablo Nermi has won more gold medals than anybody else in our in the of the people that we're going to be talking about as the greatest of all time. How many? He won How many? nine gold medals. Nine gold. Nine gold medals. Olympic and a, golds. A nine Olympic a, gold medals. There yeah. was no world championships at the t- uh, yeah. uh, so they didn't get as many opportunities, which is why you know John and I were talking before. Well, John was mentioning before that there were there was cross country available as gold medals in the twenties and thirties, which isn't there anymore. But there's no way that Pavo could ca- that Nurmi could catch up to the kind of world championship and options that athletes like. Bekele and Gabriel Selassie, and especially when you look at Bekele's ability to win World Cross Country Championships, it's there's just no way that 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 Pavel could score enough points. But he's got the most gold medals now. At the time, he didn't have. He was, you know, he was the start of. Well, there was a gentleman named Hans Kolomany who was like 1912 or so was the first real great Finnish runner. And he basically inspired the great Finns of the 20s and 30s that they basically started calling the Flying Finns. And they, basically, they completely dominated distance running from the 20s and the 30s. I mean, every, almost nearly every world record, nearly every gold medal that was won, it was first, second, and third Finland. Um, and Pavo Nurmi is by far the greatest of these. And um, so the other argument that you can make for him being the greatest of all time is the number of world records that he set. So he's got world records, and then he, he's got he's scored he's he had twenty two world records 
at one point in time, he held the world record. I think it was for the 15, the mile, the 3K, the 5K, the 10K, all at one time. No human being has ever done that before. Of course, again, is the question is, was his competition great enough? Was there enough people out there? But he was f- by far the most dominant athlete of his time. Um, and then he had another like 20-some-odd other world records, but they weren't considered IAAF. The IAAF was just coming up. That's the International Athletic athletic something federation but it was the sort of the beginnings of people paying attention to what what the rules were what winning was who where the world where they were they were going to have the the olympic games held where they were going to have other things held it was the first governing body that there was for well, the, sport. the marathon at that point hadn't been certified at its distance of 26.2 miles. no they had a long marathon so he and held a short marathon the world record for 25 mile marathon correct at one point correct which was sort of an uncertified unofficial deal and he would have broken the world record on that day he only ran one marathon in his life which which i'll talk about in a little bit but he only won one marathon ever and it was the short distance, and he would have been somewhere nearly 10 minutes faster than the world record for the real long marathon distance. So it just shows how far ahead he was than everybody else. The really interesting thing about Nurmi is, um, he, so number one, he came from absolute poverty. Right? He lived in a one-room house with an entire family of like 20 people. And then at one point in time, they rent. Oh, no, he, he lived in a small, a two-bedroom apartment or a two-room apartment, and then at one point his father passed, and so they had to actually rent one of those rooms out to get money, and the rest of their 20 people lived in one room. So he was like absolute abject poverty, and they, they talk frequently about Nermi, his taciturnness, his sort of grumpy. He didn't socialize with people very much. Um, everybody else was sort of slapping each other on the backs, and there was a fraternity to the sport, and Nermi was known for being not communicating very much with other people. Um, he basically had a game face, on all the time and I think when you come from a place where you know poverty and you know difficulty you probably take it really really seriously um, yeah so he was by far the most dominant runner of his time and you know he didn't get the chance to win you know I think one of the other things that would have cemented him in my mind as being um, the, the, be- the greatest of all time he needed to win an Olympic gold medal in the marathon in a sense for me to be sort of in that to be to be able to pull to be able to make up for the level of competition that we're going to talk about with our with our later generation runners, um, and then for him to compete with the other runner that we're going to be talking about, who was one of the early era potential greats, um, he didn't win a gold medal, but it, in the marathon, but it wasn't his fault. I never knew this until I did the research, and I've known about Nermi almost my whole life. In 1932. Like a week before the 1932 Olympic Games in London, in, in, in Los Angeles, the IAAF basically stated that he was, he, he was not allowed to run in the, in the Olympics because of breaking rules about amateurism, which basically he went to Germany and he did a German tour. He also did a U.S. tour. There were these famous tours. These guys were so good that they would go for 45 days and run a race nearly every day in different locations around the United States so people could watch these flying fins and watch these competitors run. Well, he he was he had made evidently made some money above what was allowed or the argument was that he argued that he never did take any of that money, but there was a lot of pressure the IWF put on 
the German Federation to say, you better come up with some rules. You better come up with some way that we're not going to let this guy run. So his plan was just to run the marathon there. He qualified for it, but just before the, mar- just before the Olympic Games, he was considered ineligible and wasn't allowed to run. And so for me, that's another piece of the puzzle that's like, if he had done that, he probably would have risen um, at least to the level of Zadopek or, um, and then also with the other guys that we'll be talking about. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of impact, in my opinion, Nurmi is going to be, he's the sort of the, the predecessor for some of the greats we're talking about um, later on. And I think that his impact and his ability to um, galvanize a, the sport of running, making the sport of running popular in all the rest of the world, he was the first real popular runner. Um, you know, I think that it, he's, there's a good argument for him to be considered the greatest of all time. Those are my arguments for him, why you would consider that. It's also worth noting that <clears throat> in the 24 Olympics in Paris, he ran the 1500 and the 5K within an hour of each other, won both, and set new world records at both as well. I mean, Another, the guy was just a beast. And a really interesting sub-story to that is, um, depending on where we go with this GOAT series and if we're going to go into individual s- races, well, one person I think the three of us would probably consider the greatest miler of all time would probably be Hisham El Garouche, or at least be definitely in that mix and he Shamel Garouche said that his grandfather's lifelong hero was Pablo Nurmi and he raised his grandson or in his grandson asked his grand told his grandson that if he wanted to be the greatest of all time in his sport he needed to win the 1500 and the 5k in the same Olympics because Pablo Nurmi did it so there's another thing there too where a little bit of the history reaching forward to the to the more recent past and what kind of a stretch that is for somebody in the middle of nowhere Morocco to know about a 1920s Finnish athlete um Nurmi was an absolute legend at the time and still a legend to this day and part of it was because of his as you said he was sort of stoic kind of had this way about him that people recognized and kind of became part of this word that we hear from Finland that's a part of actually Finnish culture broadly called Sisu. And so he was one of those people that people would look to and say, that man has it. Mm -hmm. And it's a word that has no direct English translation, but it's a word that people try to define. There's a couple of of different ways I I saw it defined as I was doing my research. In, In 1940, Time Magazine defined it this way after describing some of Finland's contributions in the war effort. It said, Sisu is a compound of bravado and bravery, of ferocity and tenacity, of the ability to keep fighting after most people would have quit, and to fight with the will to win. Later, it was defined in a, actually a psychological study as a reserve of power which enables extraordinary action to overcome a mentally or physically challenging situation. So you're talking about kind of guts you know, ferocity, that was who he was. Huge pendulous nuts. <laughs> As Steve would say, <laughs> large nuts. And that's, even though it's anatomically incorrect for women, I would, I still think that that same, uh, the same idea is the same. <laughs> but maybe I should use the word sisu just to, to keep myself Instead out of, of the Harvey <laughs> Weinstein yeah. areas, right? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, yes. Well, he also, so if he had gone to LA, that would have been his fourth Olympiad. He was and so he 24, was 20, 20, 24, and 28. Correct. Yeah. So that's durability. Correct. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the qualities. If you're going to be in the consideration for GOAT, you've got to have, you know. So the other thing about, about well. Nurmi, too, is, you know, as we use this, um, 
as we're using this greatest of all time to also talk into training, he's also the very first person to bring, to, he changed the way people trained for distance running in general. Um, so he was, he while he was moved, coming up as a runner, um, the Finland, the Finnish Federation basically took him under their wing and put him through school, became an engineer. And he brought very scientific principles, which were not being utilized at the time, to the sport. Um, number one, training before Nurmi was, they would do like crazy long walks. Like they would walk for um, four hours, five hours as a part of their training. And Nurmi started with that, but then he stopped doing it. And he started basically carrying, he was famous. His One of his most famous things is he was always carrying a watch in his races. He wore the, used the watch in training and he used his watch in races. And so he was he was also the first person to bring even splitting or paying attention to your splits as you go through in a race based on the systematic training methods that he was put, putting together. There aren't a whole lot of, um, I couldn't find a whole lot of data on his actual workouts, but I do know that they were, he was noted to be, um, he trained alone. He didn't want anybody else to know what he was doing. He was very secretive about it, but it was very systematic, very focused on on if I did X amount of work, I should do X plus a little bit more later, whereas many in the rest of the world were just winging it. Um, he also, the, the, the Finns were also became the, uh, the Swedes ended up naming this and making it popularized, but the Finns were doing it, which is the word fartlek, which is speed play. Um, they utilized a lot of running over hill and dale, cross country, um, to get in shape and it's interesting we'll probably be talking about that with some of our other athletes as we talk what the role of of long fart licks and hard fart licks play in those athletes training at the highest level so um yeah he he was focused driven and knew what he wanted to accomplish and um and and was bucking the trends of what the others were doing in his day so so basically, I mean, yeah, I mean, he invented Farlix in a sense. He Correct. invented interval training in a sense. Other people refined it like a runner we'll talk about later in this episode. John, I'm going to take this to you as a coach. What are the some of the things, you know, as a, also a running historian of sorts that you would pull from a guy like Pavo Nermi in terms of applying it to people in today's everyday running world? Well, he was, not only did he sort of invent um, repetition, intervals, fart, like all that kind of, he was, he was doing it with high volumes around it. So he, in a lot of ways, he's probably doing, um, you know, the same kind of stuff people are doing today. He was, you know, he was the first one to do intervals embedded in a high volume program. So he's, he may be one of those guys that if, you know, it's always sort of unfair to compare uh, eras because everything, you know, everything's different. But he may be one of those people that if uh, we were to transport him to current times, he may be one of those guys that could run with the current crop of athletes. You know, um, he uh, I think I've never really seen what the program is like, but I think there's also a, a current training method that some high schoolers high school programs use? it's not based on their training technique it's based on more of what chris stated sisu yeah. and um it is based on some of their training techniques but it's mostly that's mostly a go fight team win right approach that um is really interesting we had a 
we had a coach who implements Coach Barnett from right. Luling who's utilized that program, has been a, a, a champion of that program. But he was cagey with us, wasn't he, Chris? He didn't really even want to describe there's what a, the there's, is. A, there's a level of secrecy There's a secret it. veil there. Correct. <laughs> but basically, in today's world, if you're running a fart lake, if you're running an interval, it was born in some form from Pablo Nermi. And he's someone that I think all of us can look back on and say, I, if I could race with a tiny ounce of the same grit that Pablo raced with, that would be doing pretty well. Yeah, he, he broke three world records in one evening <laughs> in three different races. So it's you pretty know, crazy. He's also wow. a guy, you know, he ran the steeplechase and cross country and the and 10K. The eight, and the eight. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, he, and, he, was and he was uh, one range. of the best in, the con- in his country. He never ran the 800 at the international level, really, but he... He was great at all of it. His range was crazy. I, I was looking at some stats on his his results. And if you looked at his first year racing internationally, 1920, he started 14 races from 1,500 to 10,000 meters. He won 13 of 14. <laughs> he podiumed all 14 times. In 1934, 14 years later, he ran eight races from 3K to 10K, eight starts, eight wins. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like the guy. And had, he, he was. And know, he over raced. You know, you, when you talk about it, you know, era to era, he raced a lot, a lot of races, and he went on these multiple what they called tours, as I was alluding to, where they had to run a lot because they were being, you know, they were they were showing off for the crowds and. Um, you know, what would have happened if he had been training in the day and era that we have now where people raced more infrequently? He had chronic Achilles tendon problems over his last five or six years, and I think he probably could have done even better. But, you know, they wrote him off in 32. They totally said, oh, he'll never do it. He's over the hill. He'll never make it again. And he ended up still continuing to be among the best in the world. So In 1925, he raced 58 times, speaking to that, from 800 to 10,000 meters. He won 56 of 58 races. It's crazy. Podium 57 to 58. <laughs> the only one he didn't podium, he DNF'd for some reason, which probably. doesn't list yeah. why there, yeah. but probably because he just keeled over from that <laughs> many races. I mean, but it's just unbelievable. The volume, the level of results, the number of world records, the number of medals. You know, he didn't have the same quantity of opportunities to get medals with world championships and world majors and that sort of stuff that we'll talk about with some of the modern racers. But, I mean, as as I listen to this, you know, I don't know. It's hard to argue that this guy could be one of the greatest of all time, with the exception of the fact that the competition at the time wasn't what it is today. But uh, that's true. 1920, he was the best. 24, he was the best. But by 28, his compatriots, his, his, the guys he was training with, the guys he was competing with in, in, from Finland, were winning the rest of the, were also winning all the other medals. So, and they were racing each other, and they were getting after it. So yeah. it wasn't like he was winning races every race that he ran that he was winning by 30 seconds or a minute. It, as, he, as he got older and further in his career, he, the, the revolution he sparked caught up with him. The flying and, fins And he had to him. continue to race those guys on a consistent basis. So early on, yeah, he was, he was so revolutionary. But he did continue to have to compete at a high level. Um, and I think that's a lot of where he lies with in terms of similarity with Zadopek. But... Anyway, super interesting guy, and uh, somebody, those of you who are out there looking into sports history, um, the, Pablo Nurmi is a great place to start, especially running-based history. It's, it's, he's really where it all begins. So 
that's where it all begins. Let's flash forward and talk about a more modern day athlete, Haile Jebber Selassie from Ethiopia. Most prolific in his results in the late 90s, early in 2000s. But particularly prolific, <coughs> similar to Nermi, on the quantity of world records he held and <coughs> the breadth of races he was you know, able to really compete in. And so I think what's interesting, Steve, because we've been talking about some of this offline, is that in your mind, you know, another athlete that we'll talk about was easily ahead of this athlete of highly in terms of being the greatest of all time. But once you started to look at the just volume of his results, particularly as it relates to world records, then the argument kind of gets more interesting. So talk about Hiley's resume and the things he sort of was best at. Well, he, the thing that, that separates Hiley Gieber Selassie from everybody else was that he was the best in the world at every distance at some point in time. And that's something I don't, other than, I think other than Nermi, he's, he's different than that from Bekele, who we'll talk about. Bekele still has not been the best in the world at the marathon. He hasn't broken the world record. He, he's run very fast. He's run the third, second or third fastest time in history, but he's not, he's not, wasn't as dominant, isn't as dominant in the marathon when Hiley decided to move to that. He was world record holder. Um, He, Gieber Selassie was also, I think, you know, he only won two gold medals, Olympic gold medals, which sort of puts him in a spot where it's a little bit harder. But the number of world championship medals that he won sort of kind of in a lot of ways changes that. But, <coughs> um, you know, it's uh, it, it, when you when I do my numbers for the greatest of all time, the, the place that highly gets ahead of everybody is is, is in, in, very similar to Nermi in the fact that he had 27 world records. He held 27 world records, and that 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 I, I put that as a 20 as a 15 point, you know, get was a, was a world record, and so he was, um, you know, he scored so many points in that regard because of how many world records he'd broken, um, and he also the other thing about him that is really interesting is, you know, the there weren't the world marathon majors at the time that highly they were they were still these great big marathons but they weren't they weren't majors they didn't had hadn't made that abbott group put together but he did win the other thing that really sets him apart um, is that he won 6 of the world's best marathons and that's that what would be what we would consider world majors um, i think one of those wins was at like amsterdam or something that in the early 20s early early 2000s was at the same level as what we would call berlin now but now it's not in the world major so it doesn't get to be in that category but i think we would have called it at the time one of the three to five best races in the world he also won in fukuoka which is always always considered which isn't in there but it should be right it's it's not a a world marathon major but it's it's so six world marathon so six wins at the highest level in the marathon and i do as as you talk about the greatest of all time you know i like to get on let's run and they've got a couple threads on this topic and people like to poop they for some reason they poo poo gibber selassie as a marathoner and i just don't get it i don't know how you can say that how you can say when he's when he's won six majors and he's broken the world record twice didn't he break the world record two two separate times i think and and 359 i think the only real strike is that he really he didn't run cross that much i think he only ran cross at one world and he was like 
think third it was third yeah. bronze mm-hmm. yeah and um you know and that was the the turgot cross era yeah so um that's the really only strike he has against him mm-hmm. but you know everything else you know he could he would out he could out kick you he could run from the front he you know he could kind of do whatever he wanted um and then there was the i think was it the first um 10k that Bikili ran at the worlds where geb closed in sub 13 yeah. and then Bikili out kicked him but i mean that's I mean, that's rolling yeah and he won berlin four years in a row 2006 to 2009 he's held world records at 5k 10k and marathon and i was it the indoor 1500 he won he also won a world championships indoor 1500 so his range is also he had some pretty impressive range impressive have you ever did you ever watch that video of him when he was at juniors racing against that kenyan guy smacked him uh, yeah it would be fun to put a post that i don't know if you ever saw this video chris but they were racing back and forth and the kenyan and and all gabriel selassie was doing was just sort of marking the guy the whole last the whole race but over the last 400 you could see the kenyan getting really angry and like trying to change gears and trying to do all this stuff and over the last 25 to 50 meters he got so frustrated so angry he reached out and slapped gabriel selassie (laughs) (laughs) to his like tried to punch him and at the end gabriel selassie like what the heck was that i don't even understand but you know, the other thing for Gibra Slassi in the argument for greatest of all time is he was he he was racing against Paul Turgat and he had a another the, one of the great one of the great unsung, you know, he, at the time we all knew who he was, but now people don't pay that much attention to right. Turgat. But he was one of the greatest distance runners of all time. Really good in his time. He was so good at his time. And Gibra Slassi had to race him time and time and time again and beat him nearly every time that he raced him. And they threw every and the Kenyans threw everything they possibly could at him. This was before the Ethiopians started to do their gang tactics, which became they became very good at. And one of the reasons why Bekele won so many championships is because he had a cadre of other athletes of, of Ethiopians around him to help him defeat his competitors but Gibraltar did a lot of that stuff by himself running against Kenyans who were ganged up. <laughs> yeah, and I Turgot was one of those guys that if Gibraltar hadn't been around, he would have won everything. Yes. Um, for sure. And he just was unfortunately placed in time, you know. Um he obviously, you know, 5 years in a row won world cross, couldn't be beat um there, but then on the track, you know, there there was the the 10K at the um, Olympics where uh, Geber Selassie outleans Turgot and catches him, what, like 30 meters from the finish or whatever, one of the greatest finishes ever. And that's still a race I watch, um, you know, a couple times a year just for that finish. Just to get fired and, up. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and Geber Selassie was injured for that race. Yeah, and one argument for another thing is Geber Selassie would have won, in my opinion, another Olympic gold medal in Atlanta. But he didn't run the 5K right. because he ran the 10, and he was like, this track is too hard. They made the Atlanta track super fast, and it was it was hurting anybody trying to run longer distances. And so he just basically said, I'm not running the 5K, and didn't run it. And he almost assuredly would have won the Olympic gold medal in that event, too. Likely, so yeah. he just decided, nope, I, don't, I, don't, I want to keep running. I don't want to be broken. So he, you know, he's also known for his gentlemanly demeanor he's always somebody that was respectful of his competition kind of nice on the surface but fierce in the race which is sort of an interesting yin and yang with him 
It's like you couldn't beat him in the final hundred, but get yeah, your you're, you're hard pressed to find a photo of him when he's not racing where he's not smiling. You yeah, know, he would shake your hand yeah. and smile right afterwards, even if you edged him. So, a gentleman in the sport, and he, he was tiny. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, he was even even when he was running against Turgot, who was like six foot one, and <laughs> and I think Hiley was like five five at best, maybe uh, five yeah, six. Yeah, I think no, I think he was like five three. We're talking <laughs> we're talking about him like he's dead. He yeah. is it, tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he lives now as a retired guy in uh ethiopia who's doing great things for that country but let's talk about his training i think <clears throat> as i looked at it and there's more out there on his training than than some of the other great ones who are more secretive but he seemed to always kind of be an open book about his training and he said at one point he said look there's no secrets <laughs> i'm just always very careful when i'm training all athletes need three things, commitment, discipline, and hard work. <laughs> so if you looked at his training logs that, that got published at various times, he's running 110 to 120 miles a week pretty consistently, doubling every day of the week except for Sunday when he only ran once. And then he would do one longer run a week typically and then two speed sessions, usually one fartlek style run where he's changing gears or track session, depending on what race he's training for, and then a tempo run. So if you kind of look at the formulas of his training, you know, pretty what you might call standard. He, he also, in some of his logs, I would see that he would do, especially when he was in the track mode, he did 10 times 100 twice a week in addition to those workouts that I mentioned. And the vast majority of his running, now given he's running at 8,000 feet in Addis Ababa, but was at over a minute per mile, even altitude adjusted, than his marathon pace. So he's doing a lot of his easy running to fill out the mileage at easier paces. And then, as I said, kind of two workouts a week on top of that. Nothing super crazy, as he said. There's no secrets. Any thoughts on that, Steve? Well, just the fact that there are no secrets. It also lends, uh, Coach Vigil used to say back in the day, you don't run 100 miles a week, you're not going to be the best. So <laughs> there is that sort of, I always thought it was funny that 100 miles a week seems to be this number that, um, not magical in the sense of of probably going over any specific threshold or physiological reasoning, but just the number of, the amount of work it takes to do, you know, basically 12 running sessions thir a week back to back on, you know, morning and night, and then also another day where you're doing long I mean, it just calls for a kind of commitment and expectation. And, you know, these guys, y y there are no secrets in training. We like to talk about the basics. Um, and it sounds like he was basically doing everything all the time in a little bit, right? Like making sure that he was working all of his different energy systems each time and maybe not quite so uh, periodized from the standpoint of, like we would think about from a Lydia perspective. Yeah, did you guys ever see the, um, the documentary about his life? It came out in the, in the early 2000s, maybe, um, maybe l late 90s, um, Endurance. And it was about he, uh, you know, had uh, a life where, you know, he grew up living in a mud hut and ran, you know, the ran to school, ran home and all. And the documentary was really, really fascinating. And just watching him. 
there, the opening scene is where he's just running down a dirt road. It's that amazing long shot. That's yeah. just crazy. And yeah. like, and he's just cruising along. And he, he, when, you know, when he later on, when he got, when he started to uh, get a little bit older, and he would get beat, or in the marathon, you could tell when he'd get tired because his right arm would start swinging out from his body. But when this opening scene, when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, this guy is like. Art yeah, he's, yeah, he's just yeah, he's just beautiful. Like he's he's not even touching the ground, and he's running over ruts and these hills, and yeah, and it, like that's of course that guy should be considered the best because I mean he he makes running look like something you want to do, you know, and uh, that's that's one of the great scenes from <laughs> any running movie I've ever seen. It's interesting sure. comparing. We're not going to talk about Kipchoge because he doesn't have the breadth of experience or of accolades below the marathon distance but you know he did 110 to 120 miles a week at least in the schedule that was recently published before berlin they also had similar demeanors i think those two you know kipchoge almost seems like he's smiling when he's right you know pressing right like at the at the end of berlin so it's kind of interesting that those two have seem to have similar spirits but the thing with geb i think that you know in addition to just kind of doing a little bit of everything all the time, having consistently high mileage. It's also just that consistency. He also talks about the importance of sleep and rest. He made a big emphasis on his bedtime. You know, I think he said he went to bed at 8.30 every night. And <laughs> that was just 8.30 and wake up at 6, you know, and then it was time to go to work and do his first run. So we talked about sleep recently, Steve. So it's yes. another, uh, rein- another reinforcement that sometimes just the basics are the most important and there's no as he said no secrets so what is what what would be your case steve for geb over nermi or or vice versa i i I think that i would i think that geb and nermi are very much very very similar in my mindset and probably a lot of that is because of the sort of revolution that they both created in the sport. Um, they were basically torchbearers. The really the f- the first great. The, I mean, the first great Ethiopian of all time, of course, was um, Bekele. But it was like it, it still seemed like there was something special and magical about 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 Geber Selassie that. Um, sparked th- what we're seeing currently in the number of amazing um, Ethiopians. Um, I don't think there's anyone other, th- but maybe very similar in his country to the way that you would look at um, Kip Kano from from Kenya, how he sparked a revolution in that country of how someone from poverty could end up becoming a a, a well known and and rich person through the sport of running. Um, I think that they're similar in that regard. I think that I would probably, um, I think I would give the edge to Nermi for the number of gold medals that he won. And um, I think that that sort of detracts for for Gabriel Selassie for me in terms of the wins. The world records, they're both, well, one with 22 world records, the other one with 27 world records. They're very similar in that regard. So to me, I would say, even though it's not apples to apples, I would probably put Nermi a bit ahead of Gabriel Selassie. Again, one of the key things we need to say here, you know, John mentioned it briefly, but we're not, it's impossible to judge these guys by their absolute times or their absolute performances head to head because the eras were different and the times are different. Um, But 
I, I think in this case I would give a very slight edge to Nurmi over Giber Selassie if I were making that judgment here. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I think so. Um, he did, you know, Geber Selassie had a long career. Nurmi had a long career. Um, Geber Selassie ran the marathon a lot. Uh, Nurmi did not. But um, I think, you know, the, the revolution that Geb created was, you know, similar in that um, all of a sudden he, you know, he, he became the little Ethiopian that people who didn't really run knew that the little Ethiopian set another record. You know, I remember talking to family and they're like, oh, the, the tiny little guy I saw on TV. And Nermi did the same thing. But um, Nermi, Nermi has, what, nine Olympic gold medals? Is that what you said? And that's, yeah, that's... Nine versus two. Yeah, so I think that's... So if that's your tiebreaker, then yep. edge Nermi so far. Let's transition to our next athlete, kind of going back again now to mid... 20th century, I guess, 1900s, mid-1900s, 1950s, 1960s. Emil Zadopek, the Czech runner, who in a lot of ways built on Nermi's sort of both ethos as well as training methods. He's famous for his interval training. He's also probably most famous for winning the 5K, 10K, and marathon distance in the 1952 Olympics. So the only guy who's ever done that triple gold and that's probably his crowning achievement <coughs> as you stack up Zatopek Steve looking at your numbers and your spreadsheets which is again I'm just awed by this role <laughs> reversal here what where does Zatopek stack up and give us a little bit more on his resume well he he doesn't stack up as he, he's better than Gab in terms of his medals I mean I think he won basically he won four gold medals and one silver medal but only in two Olympiads. So he only competed in two Olympiads in uh, 48 and 52. So, um, you know, he's... Uh, the interesting thing about him, um, the most interesting thing about him is just how he he basically, in my opinion, it really gets into the role of the greatest of all time primarily because of what he did in 1952. And in Helsinki winning the gold medal in the five, the gold medal in the 10, the gold medal in the marathon, something that's never been done before. I, 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 don't, I don't think it'll ever be done again. I think the last person that made that attempt was, was the great Lasse Viren um, from Finland when Finland's second resurgence in terms of history of world running. Um, and he was fifth at the Olympic Games in that, in that race. So um, Winning the gold and the silver, I mean, the winning the gold and the five and the ten in two Olympiads, uh, Viren did. But I think that, um, you know, the level of competition, one of the arguments for the level of competition for Zadopek was much greater than it really was early on for Nurmi, although Nurmi had competition later. Zadopek was fighting for every single thing he had. He was, he, 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 he raced all, everybody all the time, and, um, one really, really, really frequently. And I think the thing that also that, that sort of like I look at Zadopak, I think about him in a lot of ways very similar to Geber Selassie and the fact that he was a gentleman and he was truly beloved by everybody who competed against him. People raised him, but they respected him. They wanted to beat him because he was the best, but they didn't want to beat him because he was a jerk. They wanted, they, they, he, he made everybody better around him. Um, you know, 
when it comes to the world record, he you know he doesn't have as many world records, um, but he has a lot. I mean, I don't even I didn't do the math on his numbers. I didn't run all his his details. Um, but it, you know, I know that he had he broke the 10k workout world record twice, um, and he probably had a, a wide variety of other numbers. And in, in, in a lot of ways, he's Zadipek's not going to level up with Bikaili or with or with Zat with um, Nurmi or with um, uh, Gabriel Selassie in terms of the numbers. But he's going to get there because he did something that nobody's ever done before. Will probably never do again. You know, on that point about his demeanor. He's known for saying, "Great is the victory, but the friendship is all the greater." So he was, he was a big, he was big on uh, being friendly and kind of having a kinship with his competitors. He's famous in '52 for asking in the marathon before he went on to win gold. He asked one of his competitors who was at the front with him. He said, "Hey, how's the pace?" <laughs> this is a great story. Kind of like Jim Peters from you know, England, and, Great and, Britain. You know, right? people yep. might think that he was trying to like game <laughs> it or something, but I think genuinely he was probably having a conversation. Like, hey, what do you think? How's the pace? And his his competitor said it's too slow. <laughs> and so, trying to mess with his head. Yeah. Yep. And so Zadek <laughs> probably picked up the pace, <laughs> thinking that's what he wanted. Ran away from him and ended up winning the marathon on that move. So you know, some might say that was a cagey you know, bit of game and gamesmanship, but I think that was really just him being a guy who likes to talk and get to know his competitors. And the, the guy on the other side gave the wrong answer in that <laughs> moment that cost him the race. So John Zadopek is also, as it relates to training, he's known for doing crazy, crazy shit. I mean, this is a guy who would train and train. He did a lot of his training in army boots because he wanted to be uncomfortable and he did some intervals with his wife on his back. He was doing crazy stuff in the woods, not far from the army kind of camp where he where he was based. That guy was CrossFit before CrossFit. Yeah. He, <laughs> he also, his famous workout was 50 times 400 meters, which he did actually twice in one day, one time, where he did 50 times 400 in the morning and 50 times 400 in the evening just to see what would happen. You know, he, he's also famous for saying, why should I practice running slowly? I already know I can run slowly. I want to learn how to run fast. Now, it's important to note that those intervals weren't done at crazy paces. You know, it wasn't necessarily that he was going out and running 50 times 400 at 5K pace or something. He actually was famous for also not wearing a watch. So he often did it, did it by effort. And those that analyzed his training would say that that effort might range significantly on those intervals from what we might describe as half marathon pace today down to maybe critical velocity is a term that was used in the research I did, you know, slightly north of 10K pace. So it wasn't like he was doing them crazy fast. He was just doing tons of volume. He also, before Lydiard, was doing over 100 miles a week, including a lot of these interval sessions. As a coach, John, what do you take away from what you know of Zotopec's training? Well, the thing about um, him, I think that I thought about the most when I would, if I when I was writing training programs or you know talking to my athletes, um, I think mostly that he he was aware of what he was doing. You know, his he was in control of his mind. He was one of the first athletes to talk about how um, 
you know, it's a mental sport more than anything. And I think his pos- the positive attitude, the likability, all, all that plays part of it. And, you know, we were talking earlier before this, Steve and I were, about um, some of the athletes we coach that are a little bit squirrely in the head. <laughs> and the main thing I think you've got to um, impart to your athletes is they've got to they've got to keep perspective. And, I, you know, so I always thought about when I when I remember when I was younger reading stories about him and thinking um, like, you know, he was he was he was one of the first athletes I remember reading about where I thought that's the kind of guy I would like to be, you know, yeah. it's not just, you know, when I started learning about sportsmanship and things like that. Um, and he was a complete person and that's what you've got. I think that's the most important part. Yeah. Uh, there's a story about Zadopek that <clears throat> I read for the first time, um, in a, uh, in a book by, um, uh, Jim, what's his name? Uh, Moore, um, Kenny Moore. I, I th- and he tells the story about Ron Clark, who um, in 1968, um, I mean, in 1964 at the Tokyo Olympics, Ron Clark was the best distance runner of his time by far. But he, 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 kept, he missed winning a gold medal. Um, one of the people who, quote, unquote, stole the gold medal from him in 1964 was our great American, Billy Mills, who out of middle of nowhere won an Olympic gold medal. Um, but Ron Clark never won a gold medal. And uh, he went and visited, Ron Clark went and visited, um, to Czechoslovakia and went and visited um, Zadopek. And Zadopek knew that Ron Clark was probably the best runner of his time. Um, and he, you know, he, he showed him all around Czechoslovakia, gave him a great time. And then at the, right before he left, he, he handed him a little package and said, don't, don't open this till you get on the plane. So he gets on the plane and he opens this package and it's one of Zadopek's gold medals. And, you know, he said to him, basically, you though you didn't you you earned this, even though you didn't earn it. And it kind of just shows the kind of human being that he was to be able to also recognize the greats around him, have sympathy and empathy on the people that he that he knew. And 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 to show that to another person who would give a gold medal away. Um, that's it was pretty one pretty of amazing his three story. from the 52 Olympics. It was yes. his 10K gold yep. medal that he thought he should have won. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, this friendly guy, but ultimately so fierce because he did crazy things to toughen his mind, running in work boots, carrying his wife on intervals, and racing a lot. He's another guy who really believed in racing a lot. You know, we talked about the prolific nature of Nurmi, and Zadopek didn't have necessarily the same results in terms of dominating results with the same frequency of racing, but Zadopek was always out there kind of putting himself in races that may or may not be good for all athletes but at least for him it was another way to test his mind yeah he was also especially the one thing we haven't mentioned about him is the one thing that anybody that's ever seen any footage or any pictures of Zadopek he had the most tortured expressions on his face when he ran he looked like he was like they were like he was about to die somebody said that he looked like he had just taken a gunshot yeah, you said it, you had another quote, didn't you, Chris? Yeah, that there you was another quote that yeah. said he looks like a man wrestling with an octopus on a conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is, right? <laughs> like his arms, because that happens every his day. His arms were going yeah. crazy. He famously responded, I shall learn a better style once they start judging races on beauty. <laughs> so, yeah, he wasn't beautiful from the waist up, but his legs, 
His legs were fierce. They called him the Beast of Prague, the Czech locomotive, locomotive Emil the Terrible. <laughs> so you didn't want to race him, even if he looked so crazy. And you know, when you think about, y- again, I think one of the things that's, that puts... The th- one thing that is characteristic of these three gentlemen that we've talked about this far in terms of the greatest of all time is that they were also um, very much all the vanguard of some greatness that happens later. And Zadapek was definitely sort of the precursor and cert- was definitely a hero to Lydiard. And I know that many of the concepts that Lydiard w- ended up putting into what we now call some of the very basics of training, and if you go back to our very first episode where we talk about the true absolute basics, and they're ba- most of, much of what we do and much of what most everybody does is in some way, shape, or form influenced by Arthur Lydiard. I don't think if there's not a Zadapek that there's an Arthur Lydiard, honestly. Now, I can't, I can't, I can't draw that line through in any real definitive way, but it just seems to me that as we said with Nermi and as we saw with Geb, there they were he was just he was absolutely on the front and created broke barriers that allowed other people to start to think differently about the way you trained. He was doing Lydiard mileage before Lydiard invented it. So miles matter. That's something we always talk about. Is there an argument now that we've talked about Nermi Jabrosalasi, as well as Zadapek. Is there an honor argument, or would anybody uh, here say Zadapek gets the number one spot a- of those other two we've already talked about, or is it still Nermi? Even, even with the triple, which I still think is, in my opinion, the greatest single event that's Olympic event, Olympic moment for distance running, in my opinion, getting all three of those, I still think I would put Zadapek third in this regard. I would put him uh, currently of our of our th- of, I would go Nermi one. Gabriel Selassie too, and I would put Zadapek um, third just because I don't think he had he neither did he have enough golds to be able to to bridge up to Nurmi, nor did he have enough records, um, and so I would still put him a third. I, I I wouldn't put him that far behind just because of all the other things that he brings, the intangibles that are part of that. But what do you think, John? Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. Um, he, I mean, nobody's gonna win those three golds ever again. I just I don't know of anybody who could do it, um, but yet he doesn't have he doesn't have the medals, mm-hmm. and that's to me. I, I'm one of the old-fashioned guys that the Olympics is still, you know, it's still the pinnacle of anything. You know, that's it comes the, around only once every four years, right. whereas the World Championships comes around every other year. Um, <clears throat> every country in the world has a chance, right? So. It's just, it's just the, yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you, John. I, and I don't know if that makes us old school, if it just makes us say that this really matters. But the only thing that's changing that is these world marathon majors and the right. way those things work. They're changing it a little bit. But then you look at Gabriel Selassie and he got six of them. So it's like, yeah. you know, I mean, ultimately it's, uh, I think, I do think that we've got to weigh the Olympic gold medals as key. And he only has one more Olympic gold medal than Gabriel Selassie has. And yet right. Gabriel Selassie was, uh, completely and utterly dominant, and I just don't think he can get it over right. that. So, so Nermi is still the leader in the clubhouse as we go to our final runner to profile. Kinesia Bikaili, we've talked about him as it relates to the Berlin Marathon head-to-head with Kipchoge recently for that world record. The marathon still isn't the thing he's mastered, but if you look at his breadth of experience, number of medals, world records that he still holds, his resume is pretty stacked. Give us, Steve, the rundown on Bikaili. So the one thing about Bekele that's super interesting is he doesn't have very many world records. 
I mean, he only won. He only broke the world record four times. Well, that's because he still holds them. That's true. <laughs> in a lot so of it's cases, very hard to break them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, so Gev, you, in Gev case, he was going back and forth with Turgot, right? With, you know, so he was kind of winning them. I mean, and Turgot held the world record in the marathon before Jeffers Lassie. Yeah, had you it, almost so. think does current world record will get valued as some I exponential? Mean, he's held greatest. it for a long time for those two distances at least. So I think you've got to give him some credit for the fact that he hasn't been able to steal it back. Because he's, he gets, he's held it. He's won three Olympic gold medals, but he also raced in one of those Olympic. He also raced Hisham El Garouche at the height of his powers in one of those. I think he would have gotten a fourth gold medal if Garouche hadn't been inspired by Nurmi. And um, that, that to me, is still that, that Athens race, which Kipchoge was right in that race with all those guys. Anyway, to me, I just think of, I, I, I think, so he's, so the, the, by the numbers with Bikali is three. Gold medals, only four world records, which puts him pretty far behind um, our other our other two. But the thing that he's won world championship golds, he won five world championship golds. So in that sort of third category of like the third highest point giver, in my opinion, is that is that world championship gold. He won five of those. Um, but the key thing that he only the other the other thing is the one thing against Bekele as well. He has one world marathon major win as opposed to Gebre Selassie's six world major but now this is where you're going to get probably john and i talking you want to talk about old school like we i'm st they run the world they, there's a world championship title with a called the world cross country championships this is where they pit the greatest in the world at all distances in one event on one day and um this in this regard he has won um Bekele won 11 gold medals. Now, this is one of the arguments against this is that at the time there were short race course and, short and race, long yeah. course races which have gone away and he won some of those back to back. But that means that he was the best in the world at both 4K and the best in the world at 12K and he took on all comers in the same weekend and still whipped their asses. So here's where Bekele to me is just the depth and the breadth of all the things that he did and the fact that he has um, those 11 world World Championship cross country is is just puts him at a category that in my mind um, is above. He also won silver medal. He won um, world world cross silver medals. He won bronze medals. So he's he's he did it at every single thing. The one thing that he that that we need to talk about from Bukele that we're really missing, um, and why I think people can make the argument for a Nurmi or a, or a Gabriel Selassie to be better than him, is that he doesn't have an he he doesn't have uh, his his track record in the marathon to this point is not comparable to to Gabriel Selassie's, in my he, view. He does have a faster PR though, two or three flat. He does, but again, it's very. I wouldn't use. I don't want to really use PRs as comparisons right. because I think it's, it's really not, it's not a world record. Correct, because it, it, the world record matters more than than a than a PR is. Um, but Bekele currently has the world records in the five and the ten. And how long has he had them? I don't. Know, I think it's like ten years, eight years, yeah, ten years. Ten I mean, years. And those records aren't going to go away anytime soon because people aren't running as fast on the track anymore. No, they're, it's the money is they're gone. moving you up know, sooner to yeah, the marathon. The money's in the marathon, so they, you know, you don't have guys who are regularly running twenty six whatever for the ten k. And now when guys are breaking thirteen in the five k, it'll be you know thirteen fifty something. And I th you know, so those records are going to be around for a while, I would think. Um, 
his marathon is spotty. Um, I mean, obviously he's won and he's run really, really fast. But he also he won head to head, beat the Olympic, beat the world record holder head to head by, and was getting run off. He was about to get dropped, and he rolled, rallied back. That race by itself, Wilson kept saying, such a beautiful race. In Berlin. Yes, yeah. But he he's he's also been beat in the marathon, oh, and yeah. when he when he. When he gets, gets spanked, when he, he drops gets, out. When he gets spanked, he drops out. <laughs> so um, he he does have that, you know, going against him. Um, the World Cross, his domination of World Cross started in what, oh one or oh two, and As I a think junior, yeah, yeah, think, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, was you know went on for almost eight years, I think. Yep. So he would, you know, cross, you know, and Cross doesn't get um, the love that it used to. No. You know, um, and it's it's a little bit watered down now, but. Um, but it wasn't then. Right. I think it's important right. to indicate it wasn't then. Right. Um, it was, and those years were, ne- you know, from the late, from the mid '70s through the '80s, '90s, and the early 2000s, World Cross was the greatest foot race well, in like, the world. Yeah, you yeah. had uh, 1500 meter runners, you had marathoners, all showing up in on one race. Uh, you know, Carlos Lopez won World Cross and an Olympic gold medal. Olympic gold medal in the yep. marathon, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the day, if you were good in cross, you were considered one of the best. Um, now it's you know you'll the men and women who win world cross now you kind of like I think I've heard of them before. You know they're <laughs> not they're it's not always the top guy or top woman. Mm-hmm. So so if I were to knock him a little bit, it would it would I mean because he's got the world records not the quantity but but simply because he's held those two five and ten for so long i think that kind of equalizes him a little bit in that dimension his quantity of medals from track to cross country to road marathons and while the marathon isn't as deep his his experience or depth of wins there it's still impressive his victory against kip saying in berlin running a 20303 but the thing that does knock me a little bit is I don't sense that same intangible quality that you get from Jefferson Lassie, from Zodipek, from Nermi. But Kaylee almost seems like a robot in a sense. You know? No doubt about it. That is a huge knock on him and in then, my opinion. And then when the going gets tough, when things get really... There's, there's not know, much sisu he, there. Yeah. He, <laughs> he like, you know, the, the robot shuts down or powers down and he's out like we've seen in some of these marathons. So there's... He doesn't have that sisu, and and when he's won these big races, it does. It just almost seems robotic, like you know, like there was something else at play. You know, you could argue EPO or whatever it may be, versus having a really intense drive to win. Now he gets in that regard. I do think he gets a little penalized by the fact that he's still. The, of our four greatest of all time candidates here, he's the one whose career is not over yet. As he told us loud and clear, <laughs> and right. we indicated a couple weeks ago that he is mad at Joss Hermans for throwing him under the bus, <laughs> which was which we talked about already. But um, and and he's making bold prognostications. He says he's going to win. The, he's going to he's going to he's going to get the gold. He's going to get an Olympic. He's going to get the world record in the marathon. He believes that that's something that he can do. So, you know, uh, if so he does. Case closed. It's over, over right? That, and that's what we were talking about in Berlin. Yeah. You know, when and w- that that if he had won that race, that um, and I thought that was my argument for picking him to win that race was just the fact that it was he was he he would be. But 
So I do think he gets a little penalized by the fact that we're still the the, the jury's still out on what it is, and we and we have seen and as he's aged, we've seen some of the chinks in his armor. We are not looking at that. Gabriel Selassie also raced way too long, retired once, came back again, never was quite where he needed to DNF'd be. DNF'd in his final DNF'd race. in his final race. But again, that was after 25 years of racing at the world level. <laughs> it's, like, it's like crazy to think about how long and how well Gabriel Selassie did. But, you know, so I do think that I, I, I know what you're saying, Chris, and I do think that there he doesn't get the panache points. But I think... In my opinion, he's the greatest of all time because of these reasons. He raced the best at the best time. And I do think Gibra Selassie did the same thing, um, but I don't think the other guys did. But he did race the best at the best at the greatest time. He won three Olympic gold medals, and he fought for every single one of those. The one that he got is a silver. He got beat by a guy who was destined by the universe to win that day you know that was no way he Garouche was gonna he got a silver there right so right. that but the but the crowning thing that puts him in that regard for me is that he's held the world records now for as long as he's held the world records and no one can go get them now part of the challenge for that is that our current the the most recent best 5k 10k runner in the world is renowned for not trying to run fast right so mo farah who there, it, there suddenly has become this lack of a lack. I'm not with John in the sense I think that people aren't going to run fast on the track anymore. I do think that these world records will go, and I think there'll be new people who are going to be chasing world records again because there's money in winning gold, winning, getting world records. I just think that um, he he's held world records at a time where people were going after, but there is a little bit of a, a chink with that with the best in the world didn't really chase world records. The be- right. current best in the world is not chasing those world right. records. And that will that's why Mo Farah will never under any circumstances be even in the con- consideration. He's not in these with these four guys. Mm-hmm. These four guys are far and away, in my opinion, better than that, unless Mo shows us that he's a true marathoner at some point in time, which I, I, I'm highly doubtful that that will be the case. Um, so I'd be more willing to look at Ilya Kipchoge more in the line of that than I would with a Mo Farah, but um, mostly because Ilya Kipchoge did something, or nearly did something that everybody in the world ever thought that could never ever be done. And but break break two hours in the marathon. Yeah. So so before we kind of wrap it up with the with final picks on the goat, you've already said Bikaley would be your pick over Nermi. Let's quickly talk training. From my research, there's less on Bikaley's training. He's been more secretive over time. But he does seem to structure his training similar to Deborah Selassie. Also trains at altitude at 8,000 feet there in Ethiopia. Also trains between 110 to 120 miles a week. It seems like those Africans that are having success are finding that range. There was one sample workout that I saw from him that I thought was interesting to break down a little bit. It was from 10 days before his 2007 win at the 10K in the World Champs. He did eight sets of 400 in 52 to 54 followed by 200 in 24 to 25 with 90 to two, two minutes rest between everything so basically going 400 200 400 200 400 200 eight times with 90 to 90 seconds to two minutes rest at those paces which for a 10k runner are insanely fast he also for anybody are insanely fast well you know john he revolutionized the way people raced he became the template for Mo in the way that he raced the five and the ten. 
by getting in front, staying in control. He, th- those, those, that game started with really with the way Bikaley did it. Bikaley won with a lot, a number of different styles. It wasn't the same that the way that that it got fine tuned by both Mo and Alberto, and the way that they got that game going. But he really did run, like to get to the front, about 2K out from the finish of the race, try to control it to the best of his ability, but the thing he did that nobody else, that, that only the people are doing now is running 52 seconds. Closing. Like, closing yeah. in 52 seconds. And you do, That workout indicates why he did that work was he knew at the end of the day they were going to be running you know, 27 minutes, 27.15, and they were going to close in 52 seconds, which is just mind-boggling. You know? Yeah. And some people will look at that and say, oh, well, that's all pure speed, but it's only built on the foundation of strength. You don't do that workout eight sets no. without having that, that mileage in your legs to have the speed at the end of it. If you don't have a big engine, you're not going to be at the front to kick 52. Yeah, anyway. It doesn't do you any good. Yeah, so yeah. yeah it went and when he was at his peak on the track, you, all, you waited for that last lap because you knew that no matter what the pace was, he was still just going to run away faster, from you. Yeah, just like just Farah. Gonna, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I think Farah... You know, I he's done 328 in the 1500, mm-hmm. so you know he's fast. Um, probably could run really, really fast times, but that's not a, uh, an interest to him. But he's, to me, is just going to have a cloud over his head always. Yeah, uh, there's something but about you know that what? guy. Honestly, I, I put Gab and I put Bikaley in the same in the same category. In my opinion, I think I would be I would I would argue that those two guys were doping more consistently and more emphatically than at, at then Mo and honestly I don't think that they had the same kind of they de- definitely didn't have the testing that, that Mo going through didn't come until early 2000 correct so I just think that yeah I, I think there's unfortunately you know it, you know we Chris and I go back and forth with this on our podcast all the time about the influence of doping and how how do we judge performances Chris's standpoint is always with a judge with a grain of salt, and I'm like, it's still a foot race. You put there's a start line, a finish line, and who wins? And I want to watch a great race, but I think that all I think Gabra Selassie and and Bikaley, in my opinion, are are also under a cloud. If I'm going to put all these people under a cloud, Hishimel Garouche is under a cloud, you know. And I think Mo's done more testing, more consistent testing, because he's in a country where they're going to test much more, you know, being from the UK. So I I don't know that that's I don't know that the thing my question for you John this is an interesting one do you think do you think Bikaley could have beat Mo when they were head to head when they were at their best they both close in 52 they both run a kind of a similar race do you think Mo would have continued to be able to get away from him those last these last three to four years of Mo's greatness at their peak Bikaley still wins yeah that's, that's what I think yeah. too I, I I agree I think I mean, that too I agree he ran 20 12 37 Twenty-six seventeen. He's got the world record. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's got the world records for a reason. Yep. And he could close in fifty-two just like Mo can, but off a faster pace. Yeah. So, John, we've gotten Steve's opinion. Bikaley as the goat beats Nermi out. What would you say? Mm. That's that's a tough one, but I'd I'd have to agree with that. Me too. Unfortunately, I I don't like <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Bikaley. Let me just be honest about yeah. it. I don't like him. And he's not somebody I would follow as a fan. I mean, I follow him as a fan because I, I'm obviously following everybody in the sport, but he's not somebody I cheer for. You know, I root for Kipchoge. I wouldn't root for Bikaley because he just, he has that ice cold robotic nature that doesn't endear you to him. 
And I also happen to think his world records were spiked with EPO. But at the same time, that aside, if you say, you know, we don't know and he's innocent until proven guilty, you have to look at his resume from track to world cross to Olympics to world championships to, to the marathon, marathon and yeah. say, you know, he won everything at every level across every surface against the best in the world, you know, and, and you can't argue that Nermi had more competition than Bikaley because he didn't. So that to me cements him as the greatest of all time, whether I like him or not. Would you, what, where, where would you put assess Bikaley if he hadn't run one Berlin on against Kip Sang? Would it drop, would it drop him to down? You know, that Maybe. to me, cause I think that that's Maybe. such a crucial race in, Maybe. in his, I mean, in if his he hadn't run 20303, then, Maybe. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that not only that race because of the time, but also because of the way he won. I mean, that really of any race, maybe of his, is the most panache and the most yeah. guts. Because he, you know, Kip Singh was trying to run away, and he's like, no, I'm taking this thing. And in a marathon, you know if, if you make that move at the end of a race, that takes digging deep. There's no... EPO helping you at that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I those mean, gains have been, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, if, it's you're already, if you're already there in 203, then it's the guts at that point. So that to me is almost his signature win, perhaps, of all of his wins. You know, so anyway, so I, I think it would definitely knock him down. I, so might, I, I might argue Nermi if that wasn't there. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, Unlike you, Chris, I'm a I'm a big Bikaley fan, so I I really do root for the guy, and I do think, and I think some of that is because I think Nermi might have been considered a jerk by a lot of people. Also, I think people would have people did consider him cold and ice like, and it was just part of his. I think some some people's personalities are just the personalities that they have. Um, and if you're comparing a Zadapek and a Gebra Selassie, who were two of the most beloved human be right. he, uh, at sportsmen on, in any sport of all time, um, and I still think I I guess I I still have great hope that Bakayle can get a world record. Um, and you know he's part of this sub two. Evidently, is he part of this Adidas sub two thing? The game? Oh no, he's Nike, so he's not. <laughs> or is he? Is he part he's of it? He's Nike, but he has a separate. He's sub got two another sub two thing, thing with supposedly. another mad scientist. Although it seems to have that, fallen apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, uh, I don't know if likability is a variable that should be considered, but for some reason it is in my head. You know, what well, like, we call it intangibles. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, he's not the like Geber Selassie and Zadopek were great sportsmen. I don't know that Bekele is a great sportsman. Obviously, he's a brilliant athlete. Um, his, uh, you know, before uh, the last marathon, when he dropped out at Berlin, I kind of had the suspicion that he wasn't even going to make it to the finish because he, you know, other than his race against Kipsang, his marathons, you know, haven't been stellar. Um, so I think that's, um, that's one of the things you have to consider that, you know, his, his marathoning, while it's been really, really good, better than certainly most people, he still, he needs to get that world record. He needs to get, I mean, he needs to get it. And then there I, will be no question. Yeah, then, Although and, he's got to, he's got to compete with one Elliot Kipchoge yeah, on that dimension. Yeah, and it, yeah. we all know who we believe in, in that battle head to head. So yeah. we will see, yeah. but you never know. Bikaley could get it and Kipchoge could steal it back. That would be a fun back and forth. Bikaley's story is not fully written, but as we sit here today, the three of us are saying he's your greatest distance runner, male distance runner of all time. 
there you go. That's our goat episode part one. Hopefully you enjoyed the trip down running history lane. And we'll be doing this in the future, talking other categories, going to women next with the greatest women of all time. And then, of course, we'll be dialing in on U.S. runners as well. So one thing I want to bring to people's attention about this before we close this, this, you know, people will probably say, why the heck didn't you put Kipchoge in this category? Like, why are we not putting him here? And the reason we can't put him here is because um, he he doesn't have the breadth of uh, he got beat by Bekele many times, um, beat him once, but got beat mostly by him. And so it, 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 he doesn't get that chance to get in that category. But the one thing that Kipchoge has done, which if we valued it a little bit higher in the, in the current modern distance running marketplace, the only other person, Kipchoge also won six marathon majors and now that we look at this, if we looked at the landscape and sort of valued it in a different way, Chris, we might, you know, now valuing it the way that now that the sport is changing, our entire sport, as, as John talked about, is kind of moving more marathon-centric all the way down the line because there's so much money in it. You know, it could be that there, there is more argument for Kipchoge there. But we, bo- all, we all believe that he really wasn't in that category. He couldn't quite be there. Greatest of all time in the marathon, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah he's there. Well, and but. if you were naming 10 runners to be in the discussion, he would be in the discussion. Sure, for sure. Right? Yes, for he sure. He would be in the discussion, but he's not in that this top four that we chose. So there you go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to John for joining us. We'll hopefully have you back to talk running geekdom and goat discussions in the future. Thanks to everybody for listening. As always, you can check us out at our website, roguerunning.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.